An accomplished artist visited a museum where uh, one of his masterpieces was on exhibition. And while he was observing the exhibit, he saw one of his earlier paintings from uh, way back when he first started accompanying uh, the display. And overcome with emotion, he swiftly turned away from the comparison with sadness. Seeing this, this sudden reaction, a friend of his attempted to comfort the artist and remarked that he ought to be pleased with the progress that he had made over the years. Well, looking up, the artist smiled sadly and he commented that he was actually grieved over the fact that he had realized so little of the promise that he had shown in his youth. How poignant and yet how relevant as we begin yet another new year. Now from his own perspective, this man's accomplishments as a seasoned artist had not kept pace with his potential as a young painter in his own eyes. The story of the artist kind of reminds me of the sadness that sometimes I experience when reflecting on my own spiritual journey and maybe some of you do too. As new believers, we often show great promise. Zealous for Christ and hungering for a deeper knowledge of him, we dive headlong into his word and we, we pray with fervency. We want to talk about him constantly with everybody that we come in contact with and we want to share with them what we have discovered or what God has opened our eyes to, I should say. Our social circles often change drastically in those early years as we spend more and more time with other people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we begin to find that we have completely reordered our lives and we wonder at that point where it's all going to end. We, we actually know where it's going to end. In heaven. It's a good thing. It's a, as they say in Scotland, it's a great thing. <laughs> We're making tremendous strides in our faith. We're growing up spiritually. But after a time, if you're a little like me, you find that the growth that you experienced as a new believer meets with the obstacles of a messy, messy world. And um, the distractions of a, of a busy life and the demands of a bossy schedule, your spiritual pace tends to slow down. The growth spurt seems to wane a bit. You may even find yourself beginning to set aside some important spiritual staples. You don't mean to, it just happens. You figure that, well, when I get a minute, I'll read that chapter of the Bible. But when you can clear a spot in your schedule, you'll pray. But when your head hits the pillow and you realize that the minute never came and the spot never materialized, you think, what happened? Maybe some of you might think missing Sunday won't hurt me this week. One time's no problem. It's probably not. Except that too often one Sunday turns into six Sundays. And the fire that used to fuel you has turned into a smoldering wick that now threatens to choke you. And the people you wanted to be around now all of a sudden have become the people that you now want to avoid. And it's a common tale. It's a very common tale. The tide of spiritual maturity ebbs and it flows. 
Like the artist, we sometimes look at how far we've come in our Christian life and are saddened by the fact that we have not kept pace with the potential we showed in our spiritual youth. Yet spiritual maturity is the will of God for all his children. Amen? Paul's prayer for the growth-stunted Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 9 is instructive. He said, what we pray for is your restoration to maturity. And why do you think that the last thing on Peter's heart as he closed his second letter to believers scattered throughout the world were these words? Peter wrote, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. You see, spiritual maturity is God's heartbeat for every believer. He wants us to become like His Son, doesn't He? Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says this, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Growth is a sign that something is healthy. And spiritual maturity is not only a sign of a healthy Christian, but it's one of the purposes for which God designed the church. Paul says that that's what a healthy church does. It makes it a priority to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For how long? Somebody tell me how long? Well, Ephesians 4.13 gives us the answer. Paul says, until we reach, all reach, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's how long. But it's also clear that spiritual maturity involves hard work. Years ago, I preached a series entitled The Disciplines of a Godly Life. As I introduced that series, I asked this question. If you could describe your Christian walk in terms of a room, how would you describe it? Would you view it as possibly an operating room in need of surgery? A laundry room in need of cleansing? A bedroom a little sleepy and hard to get motivated? How about a game room? A little more than a fun activity. Or a dining room, just a place to sit down and be fed. Or is it more like a living room, the epicenter of entertainment? Now what I'm about to say to you may take you a bit off guard, but the New Testament gives us an entirely different picture. I believe that the room which most accurately fits the biblical description of where the Christian life should be developed and fine-tuned is the training room. Some people would say the locker room. But I thought about that, but the locker room really is where you get ready to train, and it's where you go after you've trained. So I'm going to say the training room. The training room represents discipline, exercise, commitment, planning, strategy, performance, ability, and strength. It's not a place for lounging or relaxing or taking it easy. The training room reeks of exercise, doesn't it? Some reeks pretty bad, some of them. <laughs> exercise, not entertainment. Unfortunately, spiritual exercise is often approached like physical exercise, you know. It's the one thing that people know they need but do their best to avoid. 
Friends, how different would things be if we approach the concept of spiritual growth and spiritual health the way a personal trainer would tell us to approach physical growth and health? So we, we need to approach our spiritual growth. The basic philosophy is identical. No effort, no effect. Right? No pain, no gain. If we're going to grow up in Christ and not just grow old in Christ, if we're going to grow healthy, spiritually speaking, personal discipline is not an option. It's a necessity. Committed athletes live by a basic philosophy, right? Never miss a workout, no matter what. And some people might say, well, that person's obsessed. Jesus would say we must be obsessed spiritually. Anyone devoted to getting in shape and staying healthy understands the importance of personal discipline. If personal discipline is that important in the physical realm, how much more in the spiritual? Author and pastor R. Kent Hughes suggests this. He says, in other areas, we may be able to claim some innate advantage. An athlete, for example, may be born with a strong body, but none of us can claim an innate spiritual advantage, can we? In reality, we're all equally disadvantaged. None of us naturally seeks after God, the Bible says. None is inherently righteous. No, not one. None instinctively does good, according to Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 18. Therefore, as children of grace, our spiritual discipline is everything. It's everything. So spiritual maturity, then, requires personal effort. So the big question this morning is, how, how's your spiritual workout? How's mine? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, So then, my beloved brethren, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, work on. He didn't say work on your salvation. Work on it. He says work out. Work it out. You can't add anything to your salvation that Christ has given you by his grace. Nothing. But you and I are responsible to take an active role in our growth, aren't we? Spiritual growth is intentional and it is a workout. How many agree with that? I can ask you that. Yeah, let me share with you one of the most profound statements I ever heard from one of my dearest friends who in a moment of deep spiritual lucidity remarked, these are his words, being a Christian is not a lazy man's endeavor. It's work. It's a struggle. Spiritual maturity means practice of daily personal disciplines. So what kind of disciplines are we talking about? Well, I'm not even going to attempt to cover all of those things exhaustively in this message. I couldn't, not in one message, but I just want to highlight rather three important steps we at least ought to be willing to take. So recognize now I'm not outlining the spiritual disciplines. Uh, I mean, I've been backing up further than that. Three important steps that we at least ought to be taking. The first one is this. Discipline your lifestyle. For maturity in Christ. Your lifestyle. Discipline it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
Verse 7. Halfway through the verse, it says, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a great verse. Eugene Peterson paraphrases these verses this way in the message. He says, quote, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. So when Paul writes discipline yourself, he uses the word from which we get our English word gymnasium, believe it or not. In the Greek language, it meant to train or exercise unencumbered. The ancient Greek athletes, as we heard Henry refer to last week, used to strip off everything that hindered them in order to compete effectively. What is Paul saying here? He's literally saying strip off yourselves, strip yourselves of the things that hinder your spiritual progress, okay, in 1 Timothy 4. The writer of Hebrews paints the picture even more forcefully, as Henry reminded us last week in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin which so easily entangles us and hinders our progress, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus, with whom our faith depends from start to finish. John Wesley once wrote, the real value of anything is the price that it will bring in eternity. That's worthy of meditating on. So tell me, what do you put more time and effort into? The development of your body or your spirit? That's a real key question, isn't it? Are you more concerned with your physical appearance or your spiritual maturity? Now, obviously, God wants us to be concerned with both. But which takes the priority? Great muscles and a slim waist won't mean anything when you stand before Jesus, will it? But a godly life? Cultivated by spiritual maturity? That will mean something. And not only then, but it means something now. Exercise daily in God, Eugene Peter says, Peterson says, no spiritual flabbiness, please. What are the spiritual disciplines we need to establish in order to grow? Well, first of all, it may help to use the terms habits rather than disciplines. Nobody likes disciplines, right? How about formulating habits? It's less intimidating. Richard Foster points out, we shouldn't think of the spiritual disciplines as some dull drudgery aimed at exterminating laughter from the face of the earth. Joy is the keynote of all the disciplines. And as habits, they should be enjoyed by us rather than endured, right? Oh, I got to read my Bible again today or whatever. What are some of these habits? Well, obvious ones, right? Prayer, meditation on the word of God, worship, Fellowship with other Christians, 
service, solitude, surrender, simplicity, gratitude. I mean, there's all kinds of them in this. Uh, you know, a plethora of resources and books on developing all of those things. But think of it this way. They are our exercise routine by which we build intimacy with our Father. Whatever disciplines that you set in your routine. They get us into shape spiritually. But you may already be saying, who in the world has time for all of that? You do. And so do I. We all do. If we will recognize it as valuable. Our failure in developing these habits is partly due to the biographies and the books that we've read about great saints who have spent three, four, five hours a day on their knees in prayers before, before they even started their day, right? You've, you've heard about these saints. You've read about these saints. We get the impression by listening to some preachers that if we're not reading huge portions of the Bible on a daily basis that we're somewhat less than spiritual. And if we don't take a few hours each week to get alone with God, we'll never learn to hear his voice. Oh, and don't forget that you need to witness to the lost and fellowship with the saints and worship the Lord somewhere and all of that and all of that. And then there's your family and your job and your friends and your sanity to contend with. And I know what you're saying. You're thinking, uh, yeah, preach it. <laughs> in our futile attempts to fit it all in, we literally give up thinking that that's what it takes to grow in Christ. I, I, I'm never going to make it. So why bother? Well, Richard, Richard Foster, again, sounds a note of encouragement in the opening page of his book, Celebration of Discipline. I highly recommend that book to you if you're interested in this topic. We must not, and you should be interested in this topic, we must not be led to believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach, or only for contemplatives who devote all their time to prayer and meditation. Far from it, God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings. Did you get that? People who have jobs, people who care for children, who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of our relationships with our husband or our wife or our brothers and our sisters, our friends and our neighbors. They are most often most gratifying and most applicable in the midst of our daily routines. If you study the pattern of Jesus' life, a life filled with a flurry of activity, read the Gospels, try to map out what Jesus did, you will find out that everything fit in to his life. You know why? Because he ordered his life, his entire life, around his relationship to his father. Is that right? He didn't, mark this now, he did not try to fit God into his already full schedule. That, friends, is the radical adjustment that you and I must make if we expect to grow to spiritual maturity. Busyness has become a status symbol. Busy is respected. Frantic, frenetic activity represents a significant life. I'm important because I'm busy. We made it our identity. But Jesus' life, though full, 
It was never frantic. You ever read Jesus say one time in the New Testament, oh man, I'm so stressed. <laughs> I got all this stuff to do and on top of that, I got, I got to save the world. <laughs> man, is that a lot of pressure. <laughs> he was never in a hurry. He often pulled himself and his disciples away from that treadmill in order to go and pray. If you try to fit being a Christian into an already full life, my friends, it will not work. But if you plan on seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness, everything will fall into place. If you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern, it is amazing how well everything falls into place. I have a little object lesson for you. Right here. Maybe some of you have seen it before. It's a very simple object lesson, but it makes a point. All right? This jar is representative of your earthly life. Okay? Your whole existence on earth. This ball is God and his kingdom. This rice... This rice is all your earthly responsibilities, everything that you go about in your life day-to-day -day basis, okay? So all of this stuff is going into your existence. And it fills out the jar pretty well. There it is, your life and your responsibilities. Now, if you try to put God in that, it doesn't work, does it? You can't close it. Let's try it a different way. Let's say we put God in first. He's the priority. You wrap your life around God. And you have all these responsibilities. Nothing has changed, by the way. We haven't removed any responsibilities. We haven't changed the size of them or the structure of them whatsoever. Oh, it's amazing how that works. Get it? Good. <laughs> Made my point. The Phillips version of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. Spiritual fitness is, is of unlimited value. What Paul is saying and what you and I need so desperately to come to terms and understand is this. Spiritual transformation, which leads to spiritual maturity, is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. There is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something, right? For instance... And that's where most of us get bogged down in the disciplines of spiritual life. Listening to a message on disciplining yourself for spiritual maturity is like having someone ask you to run a marathon right now, today. You're thinking, impossible, right? Right, Haley? You could do it. 
Why? Because she trains. But right now, most of us in this room could not possibly run a marathon. But more to the point, as John Ortberg observes, you cannot run a marathon even if you really try really, really, really hard. Trying hard can accomplish only so much. If you're serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime and run a marathon, you will have to enter into a life of training, a period of training. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. So when it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely try. Again, here's the point. Spiritual maturity is not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of training wisely. It means disciplining your lifestyle for maturity in Christ. It will include times of struggle, times of wrestling. There will be tension in it. We'll be pulled between the visible world around us and the spiritual realm within us. I can't tell you how much I struggle with balancing these things. I fall way short. Don't think that because I'm a pastor that I've got this stuff down pat. I don't. I struggle with these practices every bit as much as you do. But if pursuing Christ with everything you've got was worth a change of lifestyle to the Apostle Paul, then I believe it will be worth it for you and me. Amen. Discipline your lifestyle for maturity in Christ. Second point. I spent a long time on that one. They're going to get shorter as we go. <laughs> Discipline yourself or your lifestyle for maturity in Christ. Secondly, dismantle the myths regarding maturity in Christ. I realize that it would take months to undo many of the myths that people believe about spiritual maturity. In fact, some people have been fed such a, a whole bill of unbiblical goods on this. Uh, but one important way to discipline ourselves for growth in Christ is to dismantle those misconceptions. So I'm going to give you a, a six things right now, six myths that you can dismantle. I'm thankful to Rick Warren for compiling some of these myths, which I'm going to share with you. Number one, myth number one, spiritual growth is automatic once you become a believer. That's a myth. It's not automatic. It's intentional. It means not leaving your spiritual growth to chance. It means stepping out and taking advantage of the variety of opportunities available to you. Small groups, Bible study, prayer, worship, using your gifts, going out on a limb, taking a risk, building deep and lasting relationships, etc. Beyond the Sunday morning gathering, if you think that you're going to become spiritually mature by simply coming to Christ and then coming to church, you're wrong. It requires a whole lot more than that. There's more to maturing in Christ than going to church. Churches are full of Christians who have attended Sunday services for years and years and years and have never gotten past the spiritual infancy stage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You read it right in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks to the Corinthians this way. Verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? He's, he's confronting them because they're not growing. 
They're not applying it. Hebrews, this is, this is a really big one. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. The writer says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, note that, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Charles Spurgeon called it right many, many years ago. That famous preacher, he said, the Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity because you can never stand still. That's an important thing to understand. Spiritual growth is not a given. It's not automatic. It requires commitment and effort. Maturity myth number two. Spiritual maturity is mystical and it is attained only by a select few. Fact. Spiritual maturity is not reserved for the super saints. It's for everyone who follows Christ. You don't have to move to Africa. You don't have to become a monk Take a vow of chastity, poverty, of celibacy in order to become a spiritually mature person. Too often Christians believe that maturity is so far beyond their grasp that they don't even have to bother to try. Oh, and by the way, let me clear up another misconception too. The word spiritual life, the term, spiritual life is not some other mystical life that we have. It's simply a way of referring to one's entire life, every moment and facet of it, from God's perspective. You following me? In other words, here's a statement for you. God's not interested in your spiritual life. He's just interested in your life. Your whole life is spiritual when you come to Christ. God is interested in your life, period. He intends to redeem your life, all of it, the whole shebang, not just this little segment that we call spiritual. Growth in Christ is not simply mystical. It is mystical, but it's not simply mystical. It's practical. As Rick Warren suggests, spiritual fitness is simply learning certain spiritual exercises and being disciplined to do them until they become habits. Maturity myth number three. Spiritual maturity can happen instantly if you find the right formula. That's what we're all searching for, isn't it? That's why we buy books at the and we download stuff on our iPads about three more steps to becoming a godly woman or five steps to you know, making your life everything that God wants it to be. 
They live in a society where instant gratification is highly valued. To wait 30 seconds for a meal to heat up in the microwave is an absolute annoyance. And a nanosecond is far too long for a computer response. But listen, there's no drink, there's no formula, there's no key, there's no seminar, there's no book, no conference, no online webinar that will help you attain spiritual maturity instantly. None. You know what it takes? Regardless of what people tell you or what the title on the latest Christian book claims, there is no quick and easy method to becoming a mature believer in Christ. It takes, and I love this term, I use it a lot, it takes mileage. Mileage. It takes a long obedience in the same direction, as the book title goes. A long obedience in the same direction, and that direction is toward God. Superficiality, writes Richard Foster, is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is, is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. People that are deeply committed and devoted to Christ. Have you ever heard of the amazing story of the Chinese bamboo tree? Its seed is planted, watered, and fertilized, and for the first four years, there's absolutely no visible growth. To the naked eye, you can't see it. And during the fifth year, however, things change dramatically. The tree grows to a staggering 90 feet in just six weeks. That, that says to me you can almost watch it go, right? The tree grows that high. Why? Because in the first four years, the root system grew underground. You couldn't see it. It grew down and out instead of up. And then it could grow up. Multitudes of eager, well-meaning Christians are searching for that shortcut to sanctification. But there is no bypass, my friends. There is no holy hop to the next level. There's no quantum leap from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity there's no easy road. Spiritual growth is a journey that will last your entire lifetime. It takes time to be holy. It takes mileage. This longing to know Christ fully, Paul wrote about that and to become like him. And he admitted himself that he had not yet arrived in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ. Call of God in Jesus Christ. Right? That was Paul's testimony on the issue. And it's not always a smooth road. Inevitably, we will encounter a few potholes along the way, but you know, Linda Anderson writes, make no mistake about it, potholes are promised to the Christian. But running into potholes shouldn't throw our lives out of alignment. You know why? In fact, the mere presence of potholes ought to assure us that we're on the right track. Because if you know there are potholes on the road to where you're going, Every bump along the road is assurance that you're on the right road. Is that right? Jesus never said it was going to be easy. 
only that it would be worth it. Worth it. Maturity myth four. Spiritual maturity is measured by your biblical knowledge. While knowledge of Scripture is foundational to spiritual growth, it isn't the total picture. So get that out of your head. The New Testament clearly teaches that knowledge is worthless if it's not accompanied by wise action. Read Matthew chapter 7 this week in your study. About the wise and the foolish men who built, right? Jesus said it was the wise man who heard the word and acted upon it. They didn't just have the knowledge of it, but they actually did something with the knowledge. Jesus says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. But, by the way, biblical knowledge only increases our practical responsibility. So, I'm sure you know people, as I do, are literal warehouses of scriptural knowledge and information, yet some of them are the most joyless, unloving, self-righteous, and judgmental people you ever wanted to meet. And spiritual maturity and selfish pride are mutually exclusive. You cannot be full of God and full of yourself at the same time. Maturity myth number five. Spiritual growth is a private matter. The Apostle John says that one of the identifying marks of spiritual health and proof that we are walking in the light as he himself is in the light is that, quote, we have fellowship with one another. 1 John 1, 7. Spiritual maturity requires relationships with other believers and non-believers. You don't grow in isolation. You grow in community, communion with one another. Love doesn't happen in a vacuum, my friends. It requires some sort of relationship. This oft-repeated one another commands in the New Testament are clear indication that relationships among believers play an important part in moving each other to spiritual maturity in Christ. They're essential, relationships are, for spiritual growth. As someone correctly said, maturity starts where drama ends. <laughs> maturity starts where the drama ends. Maturity myth number six. All you need to grow is to study your Bible. Fact, it takes a variety of spiritual experiences with God to produce spiritual maturity. A marriage or a friendship doesn't grow to maturity simply by writing each other letters and studying them, does it? It grows through spending time with one another, talking, touching, serving, laughing, crying together, walking through some really tough things together and coming out on the other side more in love than you were when you started. Spiritual maturity in Christ requires more than going to Bible studies every day of the week. It requires experiences of spirit-led times of prayer and corporate and individual worship, our gifts being used, rejoicing through spiritual victories of other people, weeping through painful struggles with other people. It involves sharing our faith and showing our love. Mature believers in Christ don't just study about life in Christ. They live it with him. They do life with Jesus and each other. It's not Christianity, you know, is not a philosophy to be studied in a classroom. It is a relationship to be lived out in real life, in the real world, with real people who have real problems. 
Study alone will never produce spiritual maturity. The scribes and the Pharisees proved that. Don't think because your notebook's growing that you are. God doesn't test our spiritual maturity with a, a tape measure around our head. He puts it around our heart. Don't misunderstand me. I'm the first one to emphasize the importance of studying and knowing your Bible. But to assume that that's all it takes to become spiritually mature is not even biblical. As a pastor, I'm concerned about moving people towards spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity requires personal discipline on our parts. That's why I'm preaching this message today. Are you willing to make that effort? Then begin by disciplining your lifestyle. And if you need help with that, I can recommend some fantastic helps in that regard. Dismantle the myths about spiritual maturity. And finally, the one more thing, and I don't even have to develop this one, just one statement. The real crux of growing in Christ is deciding to pursue it with everything you've got. One verse of scripture here, 2 Peter. Actually, it's a one passage of scripture. 2 Peter, chapter 1. I may be doing a series on this soon, so mark it. Verse 5, now for this very reason, very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. Notice, notice the action terms here. Applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. That's what I'm going to preach on next week. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness... Love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble Notice that. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Amen? That's the goal. And that's why we keep our eyes on the one who's there already. Let me wrap this up with an interesting story. Alvin Strait. It's age 73 lived in Lawrence, Iowa. His brother Hank, aged 80, lived 240 miles away in Blue River, Wisconsin. According to the Associated Press, Alvin's brother had suffered a stroke and Alvin wanted to see him. But he had a big transportation problem. He didn't have a driver's license anymore because his eyesight was so bad and he apparently had an aversion to taking a plane, a train, or a bus. But Alvin didn't let that stop him. In 1994, he climbed aboard his 1966 John Deere lawn tractor mower 
in Lawrence, and he drove it across the state all the way to Blue River, Wisconsin. It's a true story, and there's a movie about it. Several breakdowns and setbacks later, traveling at a top speed, mind you, of five miles an hour. Pulling a trailer of living supplies, Alvin arrived on August 16th, his crippled John Deere tractor being pushed by a truck by a local farmer for the last few furlongs after a third breakdown with the elderly Alvin astride. Alvin's 22-year-old nephew, Dane Strait, said, we knew he was coming. It was just a matter of when he'd get here. About the only thing Hank had to say about his brother's visit is that he took the long way down the road. <laughs> Let's switch the slide. That's the two of them right there. Moral of the story, devotion finds a way. Devotion finds a way. Pursuing spiritual maturity ultimately means, folks, fleshing out that eight-letter word that we are so, so hesitant to use, devotion. It's saying with genuineness, genuineness, Lord, I'm committed, I'm devoted to spending time in prayer. Lord, I'm committing myself to worshiping your being. I'm committing myself to studying your truth. I'm committing myself to communing with your people. I'm committing myself to serving in your world. Ultimately, all of it can be summarized in one pregnant statement of spiritual resolve. Lord, I'm committing myself to you. And that, my friend, will truly change your life. And it will make us a changed people. Spiritual maturity, my friends, is not about having the ability to change another. It's about having the capacity to be changed ourselves. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us. Help us have the resolve of an Alvin Strait when it comes to our spiritual life. Let nothing stop us from getting to the other side of this world. So we can cross the finish line looking at you, Lord Jesus, and having wonderful communion with you. And hearing the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. If I pray it for everyone with an earshot of this message, from the depth of my heart, and for Jesus' sake, amen.